Another edition of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the lines with the movers and shakers of the TV and filmmakers, with directors, writers, producers, VFX, uh, sound editors, video editors, costumers, production designers, screenwriters. We talk to them all. And right now, in this time of the COVID-19 crisis gripping the world. Um, I'm doing my best to get you as many, as many incredible talent on the show to create a diversion for you, to give you something else to think about other than being locked at home. Um, So while you're locked at home, uh, you can at least listen to Behind the Lens on AdrenalineRadio.com. Every Monday, live, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Following the show, and also, if you're on Facebook, you can watch the live stream of the show with me safely ensconced in a soundproof booth uh, with glass and about 15 feet uh, separating my engineer Pam and I and Big Boss Nick in another whole part of the building. Um, We are media we are working. Nick, of course, has his shows throughout the week also of Things Green uh, that you can find on Adrenaline Radio. So we want to keep giving you something, something uh, to divert your attention, give you something fun or educational and entertaining uh, to think about in these times. And I, I particularly, I want to give a huge, huge heartfelt shout out to our listeners in Europe. Um, As I know our regular listeners have heard me say many times, we do have a huge percentage of listeners in Italy and my heart goes out to all of you. Uh, You are particularly hard hit in this in this time in our world history. And uh, I am thinking of you. And uh, I wish there was more I could do for all of you. Uh, but as everyone keeps saying, it may sound cliche, but we are all in this together. And for heaven's sake, people, stay off the beaches, maintain social distancing, please. The sooner you do that, the sooner we can battle this virus and get back to fully normal lives. Okay, I'm off my soapbox for today. Very excited about today's show. Two incredible guests are joining us. A new film is coming out. Digital and and VOD on demand, which is how everything is getting released right now that is coming out. And there's some great stuff out there. Um, I quickly do want to tell you, I mentioned it last week. I'm going to mention it again today now that it's out on Amazon Prime. Blow the Man Down, award-worthy performance from Margot Martindale. This, it's a twisted dark think twisted dark murder she wrote um you've got sea shanties matriarchs murder it's 
fabulous. I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it is out now. And of course, thankfully, Disney, they dropped Onward. Onward, you can now get on-demand digital or it's on Disney Plus, I do believe, tomorrow. Um, so Onward is out there. Emma, Focus Features has, has taken Emma to on-demand and individual buys online. Universal has done the same with The Hunt. Uh, I'm so glad to see distributors stepping up to the plate and putting this content out there for all of you. Because if, in California, New York, New Jersey, uh, sec Pennsylvania, we're looking at a 30-day safer-at-home, quote-unquote, lockdown. Um, you need some entertainment. Uh, and these are some big guns that are that are putting it out there and they're giving us stuff that they normally wouldn't be giving us early. Uh, so be on the lookout because every week there's more stuff coming out in addition to the regular indies that pop out every week that so often get lost in the shuffle and now they're at the top of the deck. Um, one of those is Inside the Rain. This is an amazing film from writer, director, editor, and film star Aaron Fisher. Uh, and joining us will be lead one of the lead actors in the film, Ellen Toland, and the film cinematographer, Josh Fisher. Very excited to be talking to them, particularly Josh. Uh, one look at this film, and you'll know why, because it is gorgeous and glorious. But before we get to Ellen and Josh at the midpoint of the show, I promised it to you last week. This is one of my favorite short films ever, ever, ever. It's called Scratch. And it is from the very creative and ingenious mind of Ronan Jora, who's writer, director, does VFX, editing, and is actually in the film. Uh, the premise is very simple. On the night of a double murder, a mysterious patron in a diner has a date with the devil. Uh, anybody who knows their Bible, biblical history, uh, religions of the world, Scratch is the devil. Um, this is an extraordinary looking film and the sound design. Um, I hope that Paula Fairfield gets to, gets to hear watch this and hear it. Steve Lee, Hollywood Sound Museum. Uh, the sound design here is amazing. And you can watch this right now for free at www.mania.studio. Ronan has the, the short film on the site. You can go there anytime and watch it. And after you uh, listen to my exclusive conversation with Ronan and his producer and one of the actors, Carrie Van Driest, I think you're going to rush to see this because it is incredible. So without any further ado, let's take a listen to my exclusive conversation with Ronan Jora and Carrie Van Driest talking scratch. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Hi Debbie. guys. How are you? Good. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Well, it's great to talk to you guys after Lee was kind enough to uh, the other day. He goes, hey. Do you have any interest in looking at this short film? I said, sure, send it over. <laughs> this is a delicious nightmare come to life. 
I am. I am in love with this. I could watch an entire feature film. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Where did the idea for this come from? I mean, and you followed this through so beautifully with Shannon's cinematography, your use of color, the neon, the purples, the bluish denatured, the color stripping and tinting. It is it all and then you throw in you've got the German shepherd that essentially you see the back of him. It could be the hounds of hell. Um just all these great little details, it just it just screams life. It's fabulous. Thank you, Debbie. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, so I, I was I grew up with a lot of theology. My father was a was a Methodist minister, and uh, so I was kind of steeped in all this stuff when I was when I was young, and I was always uh, intrigued by uh, kind of all the mythologies that had grown up around the the sort of character of the devil. And uh, and as I got older, I, I was sort of uh, fascinated by the quote Voltaire has, you know, that if God didn't exist, we'd have to invent him. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I remember thinking that was an interesting idea that we'd have to invent a devil too. That we have to we have to somehow explain uh, to ourselves why we do dark things and why we have dark thoughts and why we act upon them. And so I, I came out of that and sort of the mythology of of sort of the American mythology of old trash, which came over from Scotland. And I was trying to figure out what sort of a new version of Faust or or um, the Devil and Daniel Webster or something like that would be. And for some idea, for some reason, you know, uh, setting in the diner in New Jersey just sounded like the right choice. Terry, when did you get involved in this? Rona gets this great idea. When do you enter the picture in here? So Rona and I met in two thousand, late two thousand and sixteen. And no, 2000, yeah, late 2016. Um, and I got to know him a little bit. Um, and he introduced his filmmaking prowess to me at some point. Um, and I flipped out. Sort of like you're, you know, when you see his work, a, a lot of people see his work and. And that is the same, you know, the jaw-dropping response, who is this person? And I did the same thing. And he was looking for a producer to produce um, Scratch. It was ready to go. And I had been a part of a 154-film uh, project with New York Shakespeare Exchange called The Sonnet Project, where they, they created short films based on each of Shakespeare's 154 sonnets, and I was one of their associate producers over the course of four years, and I fell in love with producing. I've been an actor for 15 years mm -hmm. and uh, had wanted to produce. And so when we met, um, I said, this needs to happen, and we need to form a production company. And uh, so we did. We formed Mania Studio in 2017, and Scratch is the, the first um, maiden voyage of the company. Uh, and, uh, you know, we pulled together resources, uh, we made it happen, and I was, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere collaborating with this person. I plan to do many more collaborations if, if he'll let me. <laughs> well, I, this is some calling card for, you know, your maiden voyage. Um, Thank this, you, this is, it's exquisite. Now, Ronan, you come up with this great idea, um, a different incarnation for the devil, a different way to tell the, the, this story. 
When did you come up with your visual concept? Because this is, it is gorgeous. It is truly gorgeous. I mean, talking about breathtaking and gorgeous with the devil really doesn't make sense. But it's the only, <laughs> you bring this incredible cinematic texture and beauty to telling this, and you, which forces you, you cannot look away from the screen when you're watching this. It's impossible. Thank you. Well, um, you know, I, I've always had an affection for kind of the old, you know, German expressionist stuff, Fritz Lang, and and obviously the the Warner Brothers noirs and all that. And when when I I was trying to go up with a unique way to do uh, this sort of story, and for some reason the idea hit me very very quickly that I wanted to do it point of view, so that the from the character that never speaks. Um, and I, I thought it's interesting because it'll put it kind of in the audience, you know, it puts the audience in his seat and mm -hmm. it makes certain moments, you know, more uncomfortable than they would be otherwise. But the other thing that it kind of opened up, which I talked a lot with Shannon, our cinematographer, uh, about was, uh, we're now seeing his subjective point of view. And so it's always going to be a question for the audience. What am, what of what I'm seeing is actually objectively there and what is the way he sees the world? Mm -hmm. And and so we have this idea that he's gonna see it as kind of this rain soaked German expressionistic kind of, you know, world that is that is heightened. Uh, and so we just spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was the right amount of of, you know, kind of how far can we push that before it, you know, it just became, you know, kind of absurdity or style for style sake. And uh, so we spent yeah, a lot of time kind of going back and forth, getting the photography right, and then the visual effects, trying to dial in the golden neon signs and everything right. And, um, but that was the idea, was to kind of show a world through someone's kind of the distorted lens of someone's point of view. Mm -hmm. Well, it works beautifully. And I've got to ask you, what, cam what camera and lenses were you and Shannon using here? Because you really, it, she's got some beautiful dutching happening and then really playing with focal length which just adds so much, especially when we're at the table scene and, you know, Scratch is like looming in the background. And real, yeah. really incredible depth of field and play with the focal. So I'm curious what you guys were using. Uh, yeah, well, what we ended up using actually was more dictated by the way we shot it. So uh, the, the camera was a, was a Sony Alpha 7R III. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lens was uh, a Canon Canon Cinema 24 millimeter, which was chosen because it's a lighter weight lens. Uh, the the film was actually shot on this interesting rig uh, called a sky rig. It's a it's a helmet, and so our operator actually wore it as a helmet, and uh, could you know look around and look down, pull his hands out of his pockets, do all that kind of stuff. So we went with a camera that was as small and lightweight as we could pull off. The operator's guy named Rob Eigenbrod, who uh, was just a, a champion because it was not the most comfortable thing to to wear. Uh, and uh, but we needed a lens that basically could be counterbalanced with a battery off the back of it. So um, and that Canon lens, we were we were looking at 24 millimeter. Uh, originally, Shannon and I kind of went back and forth. She's like, well, obviously, point of view, the human eye sees around 50. You know, I've always felt that if you want to shoot point of view, you need to go at least 35 because even though 50 is, you know, the, the distances are correct, mm -hmm. um, you don't get the peripheral vision. Right. And uh, I always feel like 35 to 24 gives you more of that sense of what it's like to sit in a space because you can kind of see the periphery. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we went to the diner and we, we shot some tests and just, you know, 24 was kind of the, the main focal length we stuck with. And there's a few places where it pushes into about a 35, but for the most part, it stays at 24. And you really want that periphery 
uh, in this story because we're getting the rain out the window. We're seeing the neon of Faust Live Girls and the liquor store and motel and motel. And that neon is, you know, it's coming through the window. And on the other side, as we're sitting in the voiceless individual seat, you know, we get uh, what's in the diner, a typical empty diner, but for a man in the hat way in the back. So yeah, I'm, you made a really wise choice. Really wise and, choice. And we, we were very happy that it came out, and we were also the first time we either of us ever shot with that Canon lens, and we were we, we we fell in love with the look of it. How much of the effects that we see did you do in camera, or was this all done in post? Uh, the the lights flickering in the diner are done in camera. Uh, our our guy Mitch, Mitch Perrin was our gaffer, and he went in the night before uh, with the owner's kind permission, and rewired almost the entire diner with wireless DMX uh, and and balanced all the lights, and then basically had a, an iPad app that he could run different flickering patterns um, to do that. So the, all the blackouts, all the light gags in the diner, those are all done for real. Um, and then uh, everything outside the window uh, is the police uh, CGI environment that I created. Mm. Um, and uh, the obviously scratches wings are a CGI uh, element. The fly uh, is a CGI element. The, the, the dog, the German Shepherd, is very much real. A, a friend of ours, William uh, Bill Berloni, he uh, uh, trained a lot of animals for Broadway, and he graciously brought that dog for us uh, and uh, trained him to go down the aisle and look at the camera at the right time. So that was in camera. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of a nice mix of, of both. But that diner was, uh, you know, we did a little bit of, uh, of art decoration. But when we went to the location scout and walked into it, it was as if somebody plucked it out of my head and just set it down in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey. It was just perfect. Uh, Carrie, was it always your plan to act in here as well as produce? Um, that's actually a really funny question. Um, I didn't want to. I thought Ronan on it at first. Um, he said from the beginning, uh, you know, I don't want to see anybody for it. I want you to do it. And I, because this was, this was our calling card, and this was certainly the first time that Mania and I had worked, you know, I had worked with Ronan and that Mania was doing something I wanted to be able to focus entirely on it. Um, and it was a small crew. Mm-hmm. So it was just myself and uh, Katie Wren, who was my line producer. Um, that was who we had. So, of course, we were doing everything because this is what you do with you know, small independent films, specifically short films. Um, and he kept saying, I, you know, no, I don't see anybody else. I don't see anybody else. And, and as I mentioned, I have I have been an actor for yes, you have. the majority of my time in New York City. So I said yes. And um, it, was a, it was a fascinating experience because the character, uh, as you know, doesn't, doesn't have very much to do. In fact, uh, Ronan and I talked about it, and the point of the point of that, the goal, is that she is uh, pretty unremarkable mm-hmm. in the majority of the film, um, so that that last moment can land the way that it should. And it uh, is so. It, an actor, fun challenge. I mean, and it's a fabulous final moment for her. Um, it's it's and at the same time, the reality of that moment—that's when you bring color back into the film. Um, we get and I that was so spectacular because you don't expect that. So whereas we're thinking, is this a dream? You know, what is going on? Is this somebody's nightmare? Um, but then with the infusion, that sudden infusion of 
color. Um, it's like, no, this is reality hitting you in the face. Fabulous impact. Really fabulous. The sound design here is, it fascinates me. How did you go about developing the sound design and then, and particularly the voice of Scratch? Because you've got such great, there's a great dichotomy and contrast between our slovenly, I go out and get hookers because nobody wants me guy, and yeah, listening to him and looking at him, yeah, nobody does want you, and I'm surprised the hookers do. But he's got his rapid-fire patter, slovenliness going on, but then, and then the cops are kind of in the middle with a very natural speaking intonation, and then we get the rasp, the haunting rasp. So this is such a wonderfully designed oral experience. So I'm curious your thoughts there in creating that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm always of the opinion that, uh, well, I mean, it, it, there was a test, I think Technical did years ago, where they figured out that an audience would accept a uh, poor picture with great sound much more easily than brilliant picture with bad sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's something that I do think about from the very beginning of like, you know, we need to, we need to build this world because, you know, the ears do a lot of the work for you uh, and creating sort of a sense of tone and the, in this case, sort of an ominous sense. The, vo- I mean, the voice of Scratch, really, that was the first thing that came to me before I'd written a word of it. Um, I just, I had this strange idea, this sort of just baritone, you know, Louisiana, you know, uh, uh, voice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I've tried not to read too much into it, but it just somehow seemed right. And uh, so when uh, well, I was putting together the, the sound design, uh, which I may have gone a little bit overboard, I did. We, we sent it to our mixer. <laughs> he sent back an email. I was like, this is a lot of sound. Um, but, uh, uh, I, but I said to him, I said, well, what we need to achieve with him is that we, we're never quite sure if he's you know, really there or if he's just in the sort of the patron's head. Mm-hmm. And so his voice needs to sound different than everybody else's, not just in terms of the intonation, but also in the way it appears in the mix. And so the way we achieved it was we actually had our, our sound guy on set did a brilliant job. We had great, clean uh, dialogue from the set, but I actually re-recorded every line uh, in ADR so I could basically get right on top of the microphone. Uh, and so even though he's, he's speaking at a distance, it almost sounds like he's whispering in your ear the whole time, you know, kind of in a lower tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we found that was just very, very unsettling and unnerving when it was, you know, he was speaking in a tone that you would sort of speak if you were right up next to somebody, even if he's, you know, across the diner. Um, and that way he always feels like he's in the guy's head. Oh, it's, it's brilliantly done. Brilliantly done Thank sound. You. Really fabulous. And some, something that is also extremely striking that because of pulling, stripping the color away and melding, you know, black on black almost when we see Scratch, your costume as Scratch, I love it. I just love it. <laughs> Who came up yeah, with that, was, that, with that look? Yeah. And that hat. I would not. I'm so. I would not think of you know the devil wearing a bowler like that, but it works. <laughs> yeah, weirdly enough, that was right after the voice. The bowler hat was the second thing I I, I thought of for him. Uh, well, I mean, like, we loved. I mean, actually, interestingly enough, the bowler hat. We we kept trying to find the right one, and nothing was looking right. Nothing was looking right. And finally, the, the actually the actor who plays the the first character, Harvey, the slovenly guy at the beginning. Uh, he said, well, you know, I've been meaning to just buy one. There's a, there's a uh, store right around the corner from me. 
and he and I are the exact same uh, height and have the same head size. He's let me go ahead and just you know buy a really nice one, and then you guys can use it for the shoot. So that was actually his hat. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, that we got to use. He was kind enough to give it to us. And then the rest of it, yeah, Tristan uh, Rains, our costume designer, uh, he, you know, he does tons of theater and, and uh, we kind of brought in this, this craziness and I said, the, you know, the hardest thing is going to be this Scratch character because he, you know, he has to appear like somebody who, you know, could possibly be there, but he's clearly from some other time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we played with, I think we went through about six different jackets, uh, a bunch of different glove choices. We tried different ways of obscuring the face and, Kind of what we came to is we thought, you know, his, his hands should always be covered. And then the purpose of the hat is that, you know, you almost never see his eyes. Right. Um, and we found that that just kind of, that gave us what we needed. And then he found this just kind of, you know, he said, well, it's the voice. And I said, well, it's this kind of 1800s Louisiana, you know, New Orleans kind of thing. And so he found this Victorian trench. Uh, that's the coat that has these buttons all the way down it. And uh, we just, I, I saw that one and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's oh, that, it's gorgeous. Um, it's gorgeous. Yeah, no, so Tristan, he just did an incredible job for us. Now, Carrie, when you came on board with Ronan to, you know, to bring Scratch to life, did you have any idea of his meticulous attention to detail and every element of, of filmmaking? Um, I had seen a film that he did years before and the VFX work that he did on that <clears throat> and was blown away. Um, this was done several, like many years ago. The technology was certainly not what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the skill, at the very least, was so far advanced uh, than anybody else, and the, and the vision and the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the attention to detail is something that I have come to appreciate more and more and more. Um, we just recently saw Parasite, of course, mm-hmm. and um, the something that struck me you know, now that I've known uh, Ronan's work for several years here uh, was how Bong Joon-ho has such a Similar, and I, I don't, I don't want to make a, a comparison to you know this amazing Oscar winner in this Oscar film, but that that specific attention to detail, I think, is masterful. Is something that a filmmaker um, can infuse a film with that is, it is so beyond the scope of anything I personally could conceive of. So it is inspiring to me as a writer and as a producer. Um, and certainly as an actor, because when you go into a film as a as a team member um, and start to speak to the director and the um, you know the, the the person at the helm of the ship, as it were, and realize how thought out every single detail is, it brings you on board with a respect for this process that I think a director um, who leads with that foot. I, I don't think there's a bigger gift that a director can give to a cast and a crew than knowing that this thing is well taken care of in his hands because ev- or her hands because every single thing is so meticulously planned. Mm-hmm. Um, I will continue to be in awe of that. You know, I'm curious for each of you, because this is your first joint project, this is the maiden voyage for your company, what did each of you 
learn about yourselves in the process of making Scratch. Because this is one hell of an endeavor. Wow, that is a fantastic question. And I want to make sure that I think about that for two seconds. Rona, do you want to talk first? <laughs> I just said it's a really good question. Um, yeah, I, do, I think it's, I, for me, it's sort of, it had been a few years. I, I worked in, um, in post-production for, for a number of years. Um, and you, well, I mean, I'm sure as you know, talking to filmmakers quite often, I, I you know it's, it's amazing how much you're, you're, every time you do this, you're, if you're doing it right, there are certain elements of it that you're speculating on. You're, you're guessing that it will work. Um, and I, I think one of the things, someone told me that a number of years ago that I really liked, that, you know, mastery of something is not, uh, com you know, just complete mindless confidence that you can do it. It's trusting yourself that you can figure it out. Mm -hmm. And we initially were looking at this project and we see you know, and the kind of money we could raise to do it. And, and a lot of people were kind of telling us that this looks like it's, you know, you're going to need, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 to do it. And we, could, we had just over 10. And, and I thought just given my background in, in um, post and how we could kind of put it together that we could pull it off. But it was kind of a big risk. So I think it was, for me, it was more that there are certain instincts that you should, you should trust more because uh, they sort of lead you down a good path. Um, and uh, because again, it was well, it was a, 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 a tough experience. It was a really good experience, and a lot of the things that we were sort of believing would work did work. Um, and uh, so I think there, I think yeah, I think for every kind of artist, person who works in artistic endeavor, there's a certain amount of learning to trust yourself that you have to do. And this project helped me with that. Your well, turn. It's going to be boring and and <laughs> slightly echo that. For several reasons. I think one of them is, is Ronan and I had not worked together yet. And the instinct to say we need to not only work together but form a production company was something that I felt very strongly about. Mm -hmm. um, and we went back and forth on it. And that has paid off in so many, so many ways. The, the, you know, the things, the opportunities that are coming to us now, um, how well he and I work together, um, that was a complete instinct. Um, the people that came on were, you know, people that I knew that I went, well, I, I know their work and I know they're good, but this is an entirely different thing. This is a, this is a team. This is a collaboration. And, and by the, we shot this over two, um, two overnights, mm -hmm. um, you know, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. And by the second one, they were working together like they had known each other for two months and been working on that set for forever. Um, that came together in a way. There were so many little surprises and little um, serendipitous moments that that would never, I would never have dreamed would have happened. And and the product come uh, that the product would come out the way that it did. All of that was, and that I that I knew that I knew by the end of this what I was doing, and I wanted to do it again. I this is a producing. You know, soup to nuts is something that I'm just starting to do. Mm -hmm. And I had to come into this with some level of trust in myself and then, you know, be willing to say yes when someone handed me reins. Um, you know, Ronan trusted me and I had to trust myself because he trusted me. So there's no way that I'm going to let somebody down. I'm a hard worker and I'm, I'm not 
I am not somebody who takes failure, you know, and uh, easily. I don't take it lying down. So that was something that I had to then trust myself about um, because other people put it in me. So I'm excited to do more of it. And specifically, you know, if I get to act and produce at the same time, that's amazing. Elizabeth Moss's career, Elizabeth Banks' career, there are, you know, so many actors uh, that are doing this now, women actors who are doing both. That is certainly a, you know, something that I look up to. Um, But I want to produce more. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I didn't know that I could trust myself to handle as well as as it went. And certainly the, the team was unbelievable. We got... We got so incredibly lucky with the cast and the crew that came on board. Um, you are correct. I have been spoiled mm-hmm. for several reasons. Uh, but what that did was that hopefully gave me a little bit more confidence in myself to take on the next project and to continue to say yes to working with you know this person sitting across from me who I was so happy that I trusted myself and he trusted me when I said let's work together. Oh, I'm so happy that you both hooked up and connected and trusted each other to make this. Where is Scratch going to go so people can see it? Uh, well, just point we've got it. We're basically um, putting it online. Um, we've got a couple of different places that are running with it. Obviously, you're, you're uh, one of them. We just kind of wanted to um, uh, put it out. We, we finished it uh, a little while ago, and we've been uh, working with the producers to develop it into a larger project. So we kind of held on to it for a while. And uh, and now that the other project is kind of on its feet and starting to uh, get get somewhere, we thought we'd love to put this out publicly and just let people see it. I mean, I would love to see this as a feature or even as an anthology. There's so many places you can go just with the story of Scratch. But I hope it pops up on on a fest circuit or somewhere so that people can see it, because it is it is just it is gorgeous and it's fabulous. And I'm in love with it. Debbie, thank you so much. And that was the fabulous Ronan Jora and Carrie Van Dries talking about Scratch. And as I said, you can all see this short film Scratch right now at www.mania.com. It is amazing. And I can't wait to see what these two, now that they have teamed up, put forth in the future for us. And right now we're going to shift gears and we're going to welcome the very, very talented Josh Fisher and equally talented Ellen Toland. Welcome, guys. Oh, thank hey. you. <laughs> uh, I am, I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Uh, and well, we're happy to be here. You know, I do want, because Aaron originally was going to do the show, as we know. Josh, how's he doing? Um, he is uh, doing good. Okay. Uh, I think feel, feeling a, um, a little bit better going through the kind of the classic symptoms. Mm-hmm. Well, good, good. But thank both, <laughs> I want to thank both of you for for calling in. And I have to say... Josh, this is one of the most beautiful films. Your cinematography is exquisite. Um, oh, thanks so much. Your your use of color, um, your your camera angles, your overhead shots of Ellen laying there as a sushi model. Um, <laughs> I, I, those are so beautiful. They should be mounted and hung on a wall. Um, 
it just this is not I didn't wasn't sure what to expect when I when I watched this film. Um, this is the char- main character in the film who's played by Aaron, Ben Glass. Ben happens to suffer from a bipolar disorder, uh, but it doesn't define who he is. And that's something that Aaron so keenly structures in this film. It's not about bipolar. It's about being a person who just happens to be bipolar. And Yeah, absolutely. And... Your visuals, Josh, what you create, um, it screams life, screams energy, and then you can exuberance. You really make the the sometimes manic episodes that can happen um, in a bipolar situation, you make them very palpable for the audience. Becomes very sensory, very tactile. And you, Ellen, as Emma... You provide, you infuse this lovely calm and softness as a perfect quiet counter to the character of Ben and everyone and everything else in his life. This is such a perfect, perfect marriage of every element. And, you know, kudos to Aaron for putting all this together and bringing the two of you in. Um, Josh, did you have any choice in getting involved in this film? (laughs) (laughs) um i that's that's a that's a huge question but um i have to say i mean i was very very lucky to uh to be able to do it because um i've made uh aaron and i've made short films for years like even even starting with like home videos when we were very young um and uh then we made some short films that have um you know, gone through like this small uh, festival circuit and stuff like that. So this is the first uh, longer form uh, project we did, but it was just fantastic to be able to, I'm so glad it worked uh, that as well for you as it did. Um, and, um, you know, the character, as you said, is not so loosely based on, uh, you know, the challenges that Aaron um, deals with. And it's stuff that's like, you know, just because we're family that it's, is very, very close to me. So mm-hmm. um, I'm so glad that um, when screening it for audiences, um, that they connected to the same way that uh, Aaron would, uh, and we all wanted them to. Mm-hmm. Now, Ellen, what about for you? When you got this script, what did you first think? I mean, uh, when I got to read the script, I just, I had never really read anything like it and so I was really excited to be able to be a part of this project just because um, the comedy aspect was just so different Mm -hmm. uh, especially dealing with mental illness and sex work and and not um, the script really jumped out because it doesn't jam it jam it down people's throat Mm -hmm. as well so I felt like it was a super confident writer. And then then getting to meet Aaron and, and work with him, it's just been, it's, it's really nice when you get to work with a writer director that um, it's coming from his own experience as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, something that shines through on screen in performance, in production design, in cinematography, 
is the meticulous attention to detail. Um, this obviously comes from Aaron's guiding hand. Was he as was he as detailed as as it appears he on screen that he was with the exacting nature of how he wanted things, or did he allow for ad lib and looser ideas and suggestions? I mean, I will. Ellen has. I've, I've heard Ellen talk about this a lot. So she has her take. I mean, from you mentioned production design. I mean, from my. Um, you know, visual side of things, we spent a long time in, um, in pre-production, um, a lot of hours going over every, every page of the script and every scene and, um, and jotting down notes about what the intention of every scene was and uh, the character Ben's point of view in that scene because his point of view keeps shifting um, along with his, 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 um, his mental state. Um, and, um, we really started from like a very narrative uh, point of view, but then mm-hmm. on set, I mean, we had like a great production designer. Um, everyone who worked with me was, was in uh, you know, in camera and lighting, everything was fantastic. And, um, and then the cast was just phenomenal. So we had a pretty specific plan, but then when we got to set, we would do, we would do, um, you know, director's rehearsals and Aaron was in most of those. Yeah. Um, and then we just took our lead from, from those, from those folks, and obviously Ellen was there to speak to that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and he definitely was a, a actor's director in that in that case because he was uh, he really let us play, and if something was different than he initially had envisioned, he was he was game for it, which was really nice. Um, mm-hmm. Just to be able to have that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, Ellen, you didn't get to work with Rosie Perez, but you got to work with Eric Roberts, who it seems is in every almost every <laughs> indie film out there today. Uh, <laughs> how is that for you yeah. as an up-and-comer to get a chance to work with somebody like Eric, who's been around forever and is never going away? Uh, I mean, it was it was really incredible. I mean, he's got such amazing stories so i loved i loved getting those tidbits um on set and also as we've been promoting the movie um he's just such a character and i mean he's an incredible actor and i felt really lucky to get to work across from him and and maybe pick some things up as well you know well you know as an actor you work opposite somebody like eric you know, what what kind of thing, what do you pick up from being around him? Or does did he give you any kind of advice or, uh, you know, because I know Eric always has pearls of wisdom. Always has pearls of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we just pick up the, the energy that he brings to set and the fluidity within it and knowing how to really roll, roll with the punches and... And if anything, just infuse your character with that and make it where everything always work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that you really see with people that have have grown up on set. And yeah, so I mean, I and also I think as an actor, you're always 
watching people and trying to learn from them. So it's really nice when you get to be on set with someone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can just observe them as well. You know, I've got to ask, yeah. I've got to ask you, Josh, your visual, the visuals are so specific. Uh, in terms of what you're doing with your wide shots, with your close-ups. Um, you stay away from the ECUs, but you have some nice close-ups, a lot of two shots, and then wides. And I'm curious as to your visual construct, the design, uh, in terms of electing what uh, you know what shots you were using because almost everything involving yeah. Ellen when we've got Emma and Ben together you've got an, they're nice little two shots they're lovely we go wide whenever Ben is in with his psychiatrist who is flawlessly pl- and hilariously played by Rosie Perez <laughs> um, but it's a very specific emotionally specific in this design and I'm curious how you and Aaron arrived at all, at all of that because you could very, could very easily have just put this on sticks and just shot, you know, on a medium wide, absolutely. and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you caught on to it. I mean, I w- like I said, it was all driven um, from the narrative, like you're like you're saying. Um, I kind of went into into the script um, analysis, you know, with my brother, really hoping to like. To, to see a, a thread, um, I wanted to map out his mental state, his mania and depression, you know, from start to finish, you know, with like a nice chart. And and I thought I would, um, you know, change the look accordingly. And that's kind of like, you know, somewhat standard process for me. Aaron resisted that kind of, that kind of like single, singular approach um, mm-hmm. to, to changing the look um, so much because, um, you know, since he lived through this this um this experience i mean he says he you know i mean some people have like long manic periods long uh depressed periods he says he cycles um very quickly mm-hmm. so there might be a scene um between two other scenes that that, that would have a very different look mm-hmm. um the i guess the, the two characters ben and ben and um and emma um, did kind of balance each other out in the way that you just pointed out. So, um, you know, we just let the narrative dictate that. Like, that's why we ended up with those very balanced um, two shots, you know, mm-hmm. because it really did, like, the chemistry um, between the two characters was important there. Um, but in general, I had, like, a, you know, we had really good support of Panavision New York, and I got to test a ton of... Uh, old funky underused lenses from kind of from around the world and we created just like a big a big like salad of of lenses uh to choose from um that uh were all dictated by by uh ben's point of view Mm -hmm. no i mean i i just love the attention to detail in choosing the shots in the framing of them and you know i think two of the most Two of the key shots in this film are, number one, Emma is a sushi model. And (laughs) I've got to ask you about that. But also the second shot, when all of the money is dropped all over the ground. um, Josh, that's a difficult kind of shot to get, 
Josh, because you've got wet pavement, you have copper, you have the colors melding, but yet you have it lit mm-hmm. so that we can see silver, we can see copper, and it's shot at a distance. The, all the money, all the coins all over the ground where Ben was going to take all of this and turn it in at three o'clock in the morning into a coin machine to get his money to make his <laughs> film. Uh, yeah, why, they, they should have coin machines open at three o'clock in the morning. I think that's perfectly reasonable. Uh, Absolutely. But it's, I have to, it's I, beautiful, I know but I'm, I'm curious. I hope you got that in one, just one take and didn't have to reset that shot. That night was so hard, so fun, <laughs> and a little more ridiculous than we were shooting in, in uh, just because of the schedule. You know, you don't usually make like a, a indie film like this in 45 locations like this movie has, and oh. tw- however many characters are in it. Um, so we were shooting, um, that was the South Bronx for Park Slope. Um, you know, at night, um, with, um, I think because it was like, um, the only day that Donald Rollins could, could make it or something like that. Um, and the day was going to be hard enough because we only had a half day, but when we got there, I saw my, uh, my app alerted me that it was going to be like 90 minutes until a huge thunderstorm was rolling in (laughs) and we were going to get we were going to get shut down by the thunderstorm, especially because it was thunder and uh, you're not allowed to shoot during, during uh, lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, that was definitely the one take. We had no time to reset, even though the art department had made a bunch of uh, a bunch of those uh, bags that were able to rip open. And um, we made it happen. I'll have to shout out. Uh, you mentioned lighting. Uh, uh, Matt Atwood, the, the gaffer, was, was phenomenal. And... Uh, Caleb Heller, uh, good friends with the uh, camera operator, and everybody uh, really stepped up to make that happen. And at the same time, um, that was also the night that made me really, it made it really click for me. It was about like, you know, a couple weeks into, maybe a week and a half into shooting, that this movie was going to work because uh, the fact that it's just the strange tone that I kept being getting asked about, um, where it's this mental illness rom-com and... Ben has a breakdown in that scene and he's, and he really goes for it um, in a way that I kind of wasn't anticipating. And, and, and I don't think Aaron really anticipated it was going to come out of him the way it did, but we were watching on the monitor and everybody was cracking up. Like the whole crew was standing around um, <laughs> counting down for this, this huge rainstorm to come in and uh, just cracking up at this, at, at the, at the material. But like Alan said, um, it's not, he's having a breakdown. We're not laughing at the, at the character's breakdown. There's something so special about the film and that, um, and, and, and our intention, um, was that to be, we're in the point of view of Ben and we're, uh, just given permission to, to laugh along, um, with him. Um, not, not irrespective of the challenges he faces, but just, um, just given that permission and access. Oh, I, that's one of the beautiful things about that scene, because I was laughing as I saw it. you, 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 meticulously stolen your parents' change jars <laughs> that your mother keeps in the kitchen cabinet. You've dumped it all into a huge duffel bag. You can barely carry it out the door. It gets into the trunk of a car. 
then you want it out, then you're fighting with with the lift driver, and then it just breaks and dumps all over the street, and the whole time you're yelling, I have to get to the coin machine place. And it is, if you're in it, you're, you're still going to find, I'm sure that Aaron himself would find some humor, especially with money dropping all over the ground and things like that, especially oh, yeah. reflecting back on it. So there is no way you're ever laughing at Ben. You are laughing with this entire situation because you think right. about yeah. you think about little kids who have had their own piggy banks or change jars or something, and they take all the money and then they're like going somewhere with it, and then all of a sudden it spills, it breaks, it's all over the place, and you get that same kind of nostalgic sense watching this as well. And I found that quite touching. Yeah. I think that's also what's so special about Aaron is that he has the self-awareness to, to be able to write a moment like that. that yeah. He's lived in a way and then say, like, let's find the comedy in that. Oh, it's well. that that scene is so perfectly done. I, I, I have to say it is so perfectly done. One of my favorites. And hearing what you went through, Josh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get him. <laughs> Aren't you glad you weren't it, in that scene, was... Ellen? <laughs> I know. I lucked out. I think I got, I, I was wrapped that day. Oh, but see. <laughs> uh, but One Ellen. One of the greatest things about, about indie film is you, you know, now that it's, uh, now that it's, uh, streaming um you go back and and see it when on the the angle in the car on donnell wrongs you can actually see lightning is approaching it's like on the way and so we got one single take even of the donnell rawlings side wow. in the car uh before uh, uh, really so before we got hit by a really big um rainstorm and everyone everyone sort of ran for cover and then we uh in a somewhere a couple weeks later and in a very different part of the city we shot uh Aaron's coverage of that, mm-hmm. of that same scene in the car oh my gosh well the other uh, the other really standout scene is in the, the nightclub it's in the club the strip club um which is visually stunning but here Ellen I've got to ask you you're laying out there as a sushi model <laughs> ha- and you cannot blink you cannot move how and this obviously required a lot of coordination between you and Josh and the art department to decorate you properly uh, in in sushi. What were the challenges that the two of you faced in that sequence and the nightclub scene on the whole, Josh, with the purple and the, the muted purples and blues and reds, mm-hmm. the lighting, gorgeous. As is your use, uh, your continued use throughout the film of red, yellow, and green, that pops up, and yeah. and mm-hmm. I just love how that's infused in there, and it fits the emotional beats of what Ben's going through. But talk to me about the uh, the nightclub and the sushi scene because this had to be another logistic challenge for you guys in a different respect. Yeah, I mean we we shot everything. How many days were we at the nightclub? We shot all the sushi stuff in one day. So one that day. was yeah. um, 
thought was I was laying still for a very, very long time that day. But, I mean, we just kind of powered through. Strangely, though, I found one one of those scenes I found pretty emotional while I was being still, just listening to um, the men uh, above me ad-libbing lines. And... Um, yeah, so that that was like a strange thing that that happened. But I don't know, Josh, you can speak to more of the technical aspects. I mean, I can only I can only imagine. I think like that that little that little room that um that we were in shooting that mm-hmm. that uh, revealed that character, which was that was small, and it was in a real club, and. Um, and uh, I, I, I know, you know, I think me and Helen mm-hmm. were on the same page. We were getting really affected by the scene. It was gross. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, not not the not the not the work, but the the, um, mm-hmm. the the language from the guys and stuff like that. And um, yeah, and as and as far as um, the opportunity to introduce uh, Ellen's character mm-hmm. um, there, it was it was great visually. Like you said, it kind of set up. Um, for the rest of the movie, um, you, you mentioned the colors. We kind of had a color picked out for for Emma for the rest of the film. Um, like I think a, uh, I think it was like a peacock blue or green or something. And um, um, you know, finessed uh, by by colorist Alan Gordon uh, in Brooklyn was great. Um, for the lighting, it was a ton of lighting. For that, for that, but we got a um, an event lighting person to run to run the board that was in the club. So we uh, made some plans, some movement, color, and stuff like that at the uh, at the scout. And then on the day, um, we had uh, we had film lighting being rigged, and uh, the gaffer worked along with the with the board up that we had, who was used to um, that that club work. Wow. Was it always your intent to get that overhead shot of Ellen laying there covered in sushi? Because that is yeah. so, it is so gorgeous. Oh yeah. Um, it's, it's, inter- it's interesting. Um, it's like we wanted it to be, to, to have the effect to be, to be gorgeous, but it's, there's also some drama in the shot mm-hmm. too, I think. Um, like you said, those competing colors and, and stuff like that. The overhead, um, the, the the repeating overhead angles um, was something that Aaron had specified very early on in the, the shot design, which was which was interesting. And that in that scene, you know, there was um, there, there was an overhead shot of of, uh, of Emma that you see uh, that that sort of close up uh, head shot, and then also a little off angle. Um, like full body diagonal angle that comes up uh, later in the film that that uh, matches with with Aaron's position in the hospital, Ben's position in the, when he's laying in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then the other thing that that Aaron liked for a long time was it took us a you know a little bit of a, a setup like I said in a small room. But when you first see Emma, it's that profile angle, and the camera pulls back and turns around ninety degrees. Um, to show her full body laying down in the in the whole room um, with all the with all the men there, mm-hmm. and um, 
um, yeah, it was, even that was was an early um, early uh, shot design from Aaron. Yeah, I mean, just so I mean that sequence is so beautifully done, exquisitely done, and that's something else that Aaron does so wonderfully with this film, from the visuals with the rain. Um, I love the rain, the metaphor for tears or or even for cleansing. Um, you know, baptismal cleansing. So well done. Mm. The use of color and the shots. There is so much subtext happening in this film uh, that it just, it is truly, it is a real gift to get to see a film like this. And you all have done such an amazing, amazing job on it. Um, you know, we're almost out of time mm. here. So I very quickly want to ask the two of you, what did you each take away from this project? Because this is a special project. This is a special story. It's not your run-of-the-mill script that you're going to have come across your desk, Ellen. I'm probably not you're the typical job that you're going to get asked to do, Josh. So I'm curious, what did each of you take away from this? Hmm, that's such a good question. I, personally, I mean, I'm, I'm... I'm taking away some, uh, I have such good friendships now with Josh and Aaron and, and really just had such an amazing experience. Um, and just the, it really made me think about how we title people and, and sometimes make their entire, entire, um, identity based off these titles and and really wanting to dive deeper into who people actually are mm-hmm. and and what about for you josh and, and i mean i i really believe in that thing that the final you know author of a of a piece is is the audience and it was really exciting for me i you know and ellen i've spoken about this a lot going to um, some of the first big packed um, film festival screenings of the film, seeing the audience response that they were um, laughing, um, like because of the situation all, and with all the characters, laughing throughout. Uh, and then coming up to, to uh, you know, to the filmmakers afterwards, uh, many in actual tears uh, talking about how, how much the film meant to them, how important it was. Is, uh, they, they have similar... Mm-hmm. Um, struggles or, or they have it in their family. Um, and I was just so, I didn't, you know, like I said, I'm, early on, I was, I'm so close to the material um, mm-hmm. that I'm, that I didn't fully anticipate that that was going to be the, the majority reaction to the film. So I'm so, I'm so um, happy for that. And it really makes me, um, you know, a, a takeaway for me going forward is, I want to make sure that I, when I pursue uh, more narrative work, that it's always going to be something that will be, uh, that I can connect with um, and, and be meaningful um, for people. Uh. Whether, you know, in this case, whether it's a mm. comedy, um, a drama, or, um, or whatever it is. Mm. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for calling in today. I can't thank you enough for making this film with Aaron. Um, and I can't wait to see what both of you b- come up with again in the future. 
I want to see more so more much. work from both oh, of you. Thank you. And everybody yeah, and everyone can now see your handiwork <laughs> inside the rain and it's streaming. Yeah. It's yeah, streaming yeah, everywhere. Amazon. So while everybody's stuck inside, anyway. they can watch this. It's it's perfect. <laughs> Guys, thank you Thanks again so much. so much. And I hope thank to talk you. to you again. Bye bye. Really great talking. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. bye. Thank you. Bye. And that was Ellen Toland and Josh Fisher talking about Inside the Rain, um, an incredible story. Focus on the story of, of Ben Glass, who just happens to have a bipolar disorder, uh, as does the filmmaker, Aaron Fisher, who is writer, director, editor, and very keen collaborator and stars in the film as Ben. Uh, so that is all the time we have today. We're four minutes over. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so next week, we've got a jam-packed show next week. Jonathan, Jonathan Smith is going to be with us talking about the hilarious Batshit Bride. Brent Wilson is going to be joining us talking about Streetlight Harmonies, a fabulous documentary. So until next week, stay safe, social distancing. Wash your hands. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.